ground control to major bomb. You're dead upon the door. And you're uninteresting in the most peculiar ways. <laughs> and me and Dan will have not so nice things to say. <laughs> Here you're listening to the Dare Daniel podcast, where you send us your most sinister movie dares, and we suffer the consequences for your amusement. I'm Corky McDonald, and I would like to quibble with David Bowie Nay Jones, because I think boys can swing. And with me, as always, is film critic Daniel Barnes. Hi, everyone. On this show, we do your dirty work, you dirty old dogs, by watching the most unwatchable movies you can imagine. And then we review and rate them using our unique system, run-of-the-mill bad film. That gets a dare. Double dare rating goes to the truly atrocious movies, and we reserve the reverse dare, the very deeply respected <laughs> and beloved Billboard Music Award winning reverse dare for those despised movies that are actually pretty good. Today on the podcast, this pair of diamond dogs are going to be reviewing Johnny Flynn as David Bowie becoming Ziggy Stardust in the 2020 biopic Stardust. But before we get started, we're going to talk about no cocktails. Yeah, this week's cocktail is not a cocktail at all. It's just a beer, not a beer cocktail. Those exist. Just a beer. Uh, peek behind the curtain. It's Super Bowl day when we're shooting this, so I'm going to be drinking beer today. It's Super Bowl. You think David Bowie America. ever went to a Super Bowl or watched a Super Bowl or knew what football was? He doesn't seem like a sports guy. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. No. I'm going to guess no. <laughs> but yes, this week's beer, however, is Juice Junior. Last Crusade. Uh, from Great Notion Brewing out of Portland, 6% ABV IPA, so it's very crushable, it's very delicious. Like I said, they're based out of Portland, but they have a facility in Sacramento. They don't have a tap room, but they uh, are canning beer, they're making and canning beer, so you can go down there and pick up delicious Great Notion beer anytime you want, or have it delivered. So, And now, our feature presentation. Stardust. Dared to us by David Paul, one of our beloved weekly donors. Why did DP, a.k.a. David Paul, why did David Paul, a.k.a. DP, dare us Stardust? He says, the wigs, guys. The wigs. The utter abuse of costuming art in general. Anytime they show the spiders from Mars playing music, casting a middle-aged troll to play peak 1971 sex god Mark Bolin, how much the movie hates Angie, how utterly without charm or charisma the actor playing Bowie is, and finally, a waste of what could have been an interesting exploration of that part of Bowie's career and mental illness. Maybe there was a good movie there along the way, but the finished product is rough stuff. I can only assume once they realized they could only afford trolls to play sex gods, they just gave up on the lot of it. The IMDb synopsis, which does not stand for I am David Bowie, for Stardust. Stardust will chronicle the young David Bowie's first visit to the U.S. in 1971, a trip that inspired the invention of his iconic alter ego, Ziggy Stardust. Yes, this week's film is Stardust. An interesting note, this is actually the second movie named Stardust that we've been dared by David yes. Paul. It's the first one that we reviewed. The other one is the Matthew Vaughn Stardust. This Does he only watch movies like he watches Stardust, Stardust, Stardust memories? Title, he's in. 
or star or dust. You know, a star is mm-hmm. born, huge fan, daughters of the dust, big fan, lust in the dust, whatever. Dune Dune is about uh, <laughs> a big planet made of dust in the stars. <laughs> Absolutely. If it's got stars or dusts, he's uh, he's on board. This Stardust, of course, is a biopic about the great David yes. Bowie. It was directed and co-written by Gabriel Range. Stars Johnny Flynn as Bowie, Jenna Malone as Angie Bowie, his wife, and Mark Marin as fictional publicist Ron Oberman. Uh, Johnny Flynn, the star, is probably best known for playing George Knightley in the 2020 version of Emma that uh, just uh, played recently. Uh, he also leads a folk rock outfit called Johnny Flynn and the Sussex Wit. So he's got some bona fides as far as a musical career. Mark Marin uh, is apparently well known as a podcaster, uh, whatever that is. Podcast? Oh. <laughs> Am I saying that right? I don't know what those are. Took me a second to know you were doing a bit. <laughs> Always doing a bit. This is all a big log for a bit. David Bowie's estate did not approve of the film. <laughs> Just for artistic reasons, I'm sure. And did not grant rights to use Bowie's music. All the songs that Flynn sings in the film are covers. Uh, Bowie's son, Duncan Jones, director of Warcraft, episode 44, don't you know, Corky, campaigned against the film uh, heavily. The movie was released November 25th, 2020 on 44 screens in the US and Canada. Guessing this probably would have gone straight to video if not for COVID. It's got a real straight to video kind of feel. Uh, Even still, only grossed $62,251 at the box office. Not a hit with critics either. 20 on Rotten Tomatoes, 35 on Metacritic. Mark Beaumont of NME called it, quote, a revelatory road trip movie. But Simran Hans of The Observer was more with the critical consensus. He wrote, quote, the whole thing feels strangely pedestrian, unable to capture or channel Bowie's maverick spirit. Corky. Yes, sir. Did Beaumont hit the mark? Wordplay. Or are you living in Simran City? Also (laughs) wordplay. Fun. I'm, you know, Dan, I'm really not going to choose between a critic. uh, You're the critic I'm going to choose today. Uh, Not to fight, but to celebrate because you had to do some heavy lifting to find anything positive about this movie said by a critic. And a revelatory road trip movie is not really that positive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there there are no ringing endorsements of this movie they are uh, the yeah. only positive reviews are extremely extremely half-hearted and and i'm gonna say nor should there no. be why why if the the great question inspired by fateful findings corky uh-huh. is what the fuck like yes. what the fuck the question inspired by stardust is why yeah. why who the fuck is this movie for who's it for they didn't have any of the movie rights yep. if if you like David Bowie, you won't like this movie, A, because it has no music, and A, because it doesn't have very much of a Bowie-ish Bowie. Um, and B, it hates fucking David Bowie. <laughs> so he doesn't really care that much about Bowie. And if you don't like David Bowie or don't care about David Bowie, the, the filmmaking is so pedestrian. The storytelling yeah. is so so uninteresting. The way that it's structured as this flashback kind of a thing. There's nothing there to draw you in absolute, uh, at all. It's got all these like little inside references that a Bowie fan would get and, and glad to call out, but then has no music, has the rights to nothing that recognizable from Bowie. So it's just like, oh, okay, so here's this guy singing a lot of other people's songs poorly. <laughs> right. 
it's like this is for a, a movie for people who don't like David Bowie but still want him reduced. You know what I mean? Still want everything about his life, his art, his fluid sexual identity reduced to basically another indie therapy movie where there's no uh-huh. journey, no story, no conflict. There's no quest. It's just Bowie figuring his shit out a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not compelling. And it's a very right. uninteresting way to tell the story of an interesting man's life. And it's like there was these movies in the 90s that came out celebrating glam rock in the 70s. Yes. Uh, Velvet Goldmine sure. was one of them. And it was about they, – they didn't have rights to real people, so they used – they made up these rockers. Right. It's like this movie's just doing that same thing. This is not any recognizable <laughs> David Bowie. <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of these types of uh, biopics anyway. There's yeah. just been a glut of them uh, lately. And they're all just award scrubbers, and they're all just thrown up against the wall hoping that one of them hits. This one, yeah, from the very beginning, I was oivaying. Like, at the start, it announces in a very self-referential way that I absolutely hate. What follows is mostly fiction, uh. which it kind of isn't. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. You know, that's right, mostly right. fiction, okay? Right. To me, it, this points out the fine line between fiction and bullshit, like, yeah. this movie is arguably mostly fact, right? David Bowie exists. He exists as David Bowie exists. He had a brother with mental illness. He had yeah. a, a unique relationship with his wife. He went to America in the 71 to push. The, I mean, this all actually happened for the most part. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the, the uh, Mark Marin character is an invention, but most of it happened. But it's inarguably full of shit. It's portrayal of Bowie, his music, his life. Of Mark Bolin, of so many things, this movie is mostly bullshit. Mostly. But I do agree with DP that the, it could be interesting to have a biopic that's about one point. Like, when did they tip to that one point? Right. We know who this person is. We know where they ended up. But let's see this one transition point. That could be interesting to me. Yeah. This movie does not do it interestingly. No. And actually, it doesn't even do it. The movie's premise, if I can distill it down to one thing, it's that mental health issues will fuck with you and fuck up your career until you lean into them. Yes, exactly. And then the movie cops out on all that because that's what the whole setup is. And then it just skips one year later. And all of a sudden, he's just doing the Ziggy Stardust. He's figured it out. Yeah. There's no like – you don't see that relevance. You don't – not in any kind of – poignant or remarkable manner no absolutely yeah story-wise like we're, we're kind of dealing with the walk the line style so we have like this tortured artist he's at this very critical moment in his career this very famous moment in his career and we're flashing back within that to the moments that shaped him and the people that have haunted him this is like a very brooding bowie yeah and that flashback style is just the most it's so uninteresting it kind of structures Uh it as like being a bit of a mystery too like something's haunting bowie what is it he has a capital b capital s big secret they ended up doing it in a real capital b capital s manner yeah it's bs all right (laughs) (laughs) all right let's get into it what follows is mostly fiction So we see these scenes from 2001, A Space Odyssey, um, with Bowie, Johnny Flynn as Bowie, playing the part, well, actually two of the parts in both Kyrdalia and um, yeah. whatever. Um, if I may say, it's just as artful as 2001, A Space Odyssey, too. It looks just every bit as good, watched on my 17-inch screen. <laughs> 
But, oh, it's all a dream. It's all a dream on this plane ride that he's taken to America, um, which he is, it's 1971. He lands at Dulles Airport in D.C., and right away there is an issue. He has a visa issue at the airport. Um, he doesn't have the right uh, paperwork. Guards are, st- are going through his garments. They're kind of, you know, trying to humiliate him a little bit. Everyone sort of is treating him He's freaking out the squares. This is kind of a running theme is that everyone in America is just like a total square and like they cannot believe this like this pansexual dandy. What the they're just like shocked and appalled by this like so they go through his garments and they find this dress and he says it's a man's dress and they're very, you know, they're kind of looking down on him and and really kind of humiliating him going through his stuff. And, and we're getting hit with Dutch angles. We're getting mm-hmm. hit with filming in fisheye mirrors. I mean, this guy's laying on all the hack director tricks. He's, got a, every, he's pulling out all the film school, uh, you know, toolkit. Um, and this is where we get our first, like, flashback, right? So this is the thing. It's like we keep flashing back. His journey in the modern day in 71 is he's coming to America to promote The Man Who Sold the World, which was just released uh, uh, stateside. But we get this flashback. We're constantly getting flashbacks. And so it's sort of yeah. uncovering the things that are, are haunting Bowie as we go on. It's again, yawn. Uh, so the first flashback is to this rollicking house party where he's wearing this men's dress that he has in his luggage. This is where we first meet his wife, Angie. She's played by Jenna Malone. Um, and when she sees a woman making eyes at Bowie, so right away, unconventional marriage. She sees this woman making eyes at Bowie. She says, it's not that kind of marriage makes out with the woman in front of David and invites the woman for a threesome, right? Yeah. So right away we're getting the, they don't have a conventional marriage. What also kind of comes out <laughs> is that Bowie is totally henpecked Dude. <laughs> by this woman, Angie. Like, DP had it right. This movie hates, hates, hates this woman, hates her. They almost want to call her Angie Macbeth. <laughs> like, they want her to be the most, like, henpecking, nagging That's- wife. She is emasculating. She's shrill. She's a shrew. She's just, yeah, she's absolutely um, just uh, really awful. Did you notice how they focused on their hair? Like she's the man in the relationship, like controls, like she's got the short hair. He's got the long hair. Like they make a point of this. It's like, all right, we get it. We get what you're trying to do. (laughs) Speaking of hair at this party, we get this guy with this wig that looks like um, it, in the Corsican brothers, the, the the bad guy Fouquet wears this big black curly wig like a pirate. Yes, this guy's wig is freakish. So this is Mark Bolin. Who's Mark Bolin? T Rex. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. So this is Mark Bolin, and again, David Paul nailed it. Again, this movie hates Mark Bolin too. Mark Bolin in his day was every bit the androgynous sex god that Bowie was. This movie portrays him as a creature that Andy Circus would play in Mo Capture. <laughs> <laughs> like, this guy is seen as like disgusting. But there is just like this imperative in this movie that again, there's no real conflict and there's no real story and there's no real dream. No. They have to have some kind of antagonist for what yeah. he's worth. And so they manufacture one in Bolin. And Bolin is this one who we've only seen him a couple of times, right? We see him here at the beginning and here again at the very end. He's brought up a few times. Constantly brought up. Why can't you be yeah. more like Bolin? Why can't you do this? He gets kicked off the radio. They put on a T-Rex song. Bolin is portrayed not only as like a troll, but as like a mainstream sellout. You know, that like... <laughs> Bowie's just going to inevitably leave this guy in the dust, you know? It's yeah. just like, it's really not not fair at all. 
Meanwhile, Bowie went on to make China Doll and Blue Jeans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mainstream sellout. Also, we got to say, Bowie was 23, 24 at this time. The guy playing him is 39. Yeah. And he's like the youngest of these rock stars. Yes, everyone's very, very playing way too old. Um, but we get a lot of this kind of like bullet point sort of dialogue, uh, you know, yeah. in these next few scenes. Wikipedia dialogue. Some, uh, Bowie just walks up to Mark Bowen and says, ride the white swan. And Bowen says, it's at number two. It's like, okay. oh, what do humans talk like that? Uh, and Bolin is like hardcore negging Bowie, too. He's just uh-huh. like, oh, I know it's so hard for you. Oh, my God. Um, so then we cut back to the customs. They they kind of are asking about his sexuality now. And Bowie is kind of, you know, sort of dancing around it a little bit. But again, he's, he's being like, um, there's sort of a persecution going on here in America. Um, but again, I, this guy plays Bowie as the most pensive. Yes, right. Yeah, he's very aloof. Um, he's very just kind of apart from people. Hugs himself, yeah. worried about himself. Yes, he's very emo. Um, we go back to another flashback. <laughs> I mean, again, just there's no momentum. I just why tell the story in this way? It's just this such- movie is the uh, the identical, but without the. But it's got the brother thing, yeah. but it's a real, about a real person. It doesn't like if this guy was called Javith Crowey, like in that was Drexel Helmsley in the identical instead of Elvis Presley. Javith Crowey, <laughs> this movie would be the identical part too. So good. Oh yes, but they talk to the record execs because we need a little more background on this tour that Bowie's going on, and he says, you know, America finds this album really challenging. Singles not selling. It's too dark, too weird for the Yanks. They want you to be more like Bolin. <laughs> Don't be weird. Be like Bolin. Uh, and he says, like, Space Oddity was two years ago. Here's the other songs you released since then. And then lists, like, eight or nine songs. I mean, again, it's just like bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Yeah. Here's what you need to know. Moving on, right? A Bowie kind of – this pointing a little bit to his motivation. He says, I need to be known. I need them to know me. Okay. So again, brooding Bowie, dark secret. So he's promised by the record exec to, that he'll have like a red carpet greeting, but he walks out of the customs office after they've uh, let him go. And he's greeted by a completely empty airport outside though, is Ron Oberman publicist for Mercury record. The only guy who believes in him, the last man. Right. And, and of course he's really pathetic himself and of course it's a made-up character um this is not a real character um this was an invention (laughs) for the movie you'd never know it though right it just seems so organic oh god it's so dumb he shows up with his mom there's this really weird part where this guy really shows how bad he is at directing because there's this thing where mark maron's showing him he's not going to stay at a hotel room he's going to stay in his family's bedroom right so it's not quite a pov shot but maron is close enough and opening a door to let the camera come in and he's looking off camera, but the camera's in Marin's face. So it's really weird to film like that, that close up, but have him look, be looking at the character off camera. Yeah. It's so like, why was the camera that I said they it really up were like a POV shot and not have it be a POV shot. Yes. <laughs> yes no, it's so weird. It is. It's just, yeah. And the movie does, doesn't really know how to play it. It seems like they, they want to, this should be played for like kind of broad last because it is a ridiculous situation. David Bowie comes and to America and he has to stay at this yeah. family's house and eat dinner with them. And this 
woman who's Mark Maron's mother, who's in real life probably like 10 years older than Mark Maron, maybe. I mean, like, Mark Maron is playing like way young for. I thought she was younger than Maron. Yeah. Okay. We said that the rock stars are way too old to be playing these rock stars. The rock journalists are even worse. The rock journalists are all like 60 years old. (laughs) Like, what the (laughs) fuck? What? Where's that kid from Almost Famous, for God's sake? (laughs) Yeah. Where's Lance Bangs? (laughs) Lester Bangs. Um, yeah, so they have this family dinner, Bowie's kind of realizing, Ron tells David they can't, he can't perform because of these visa yeah. issues that he had that stopped him at the airport. He can only give interviews. He doesn't have a hotel. You're going to have to stay in the spare room, right? So, um, not getting off to a great start on this tour. Uh, Bowie rides yes. in the back, Green Book style, and they're just going <laughs> to ride around discovering America. <laughs> but you know what? Discovering themselves. I mean, sure. seriously. That's what happened. I wrote, at this point, I wrote car ride padding, but until I realized that's the whole movie the whole is, is a padded car thing. ride. Yeah. Lots of driving scenes. And I mean, the road trip movie is is a, a thing and has been a thing yeah. for so oh. long because well done. it could be really yeah. great. Scenes of driving on the road, scenes of all these, you know, the different things you can see and being outdoors. Yeah. This is as boring as it gets. The scenes from all inside the car are clearly just green screen. And then yeah. uh, there's, there's a lot of stock footage being used for kind of the other stuff. There's just nothing as compelling about these driving scenes. I th- When I think of my favorite road movies, like the Crosby Hope road movies, Midnight Run, Follow That Bird, uh, these are great. We're on an adventure. We're discovering ourselves. Marin and Flynn are... I, I, yeah, I can't even put it on them because the, what were they given? They're just sitting in a car that's kind of rocking. Like, oh, there's a funny part where they have to – like the scene starts with the car coming to a stop and they do that fake lean forward and then <laughs> jot back thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were really trying to capture the car aspect of this car trip it's movie. It's very TV, the car scenes. So uh, Ron says that he has uh, some gigs for Bowie playing private parties. Yeah, uh, and even promises him the Rolling Stone cover. So he's like, I mean, no one came to even meet Bowie at the fucking airport, and suddenly this like lunatic who lives with his mom is promising <laughs> him the Rolling Stone cover, and it's like, all right, cool. Um, but this gig is like at a hotel bar, and no one pays attention. This is the other kind of running gag of the movie is that Bowie actually does play some shows and make some public appearances and literally no one no one pays attention no. no one even like looks at him or breaks their conversation for a moment to be like there's this person performing over there it's David Bowie yeah he had a hit record not an two unknown years ago. person and in any way shape or form if he just pulled <laughs> pulled space odyssey out of his butt then yeah that'd be fun but the the songs that um Johnny Flynn performs as Bowie are all covers because again, mm-hmm. they didn't have any rights to Bowie's songs. Um, calls home to Angie, very dejected after this show. And of course, she just rips him a fucking do it. She's just like, don't fuck this up. It's not just your career on the line. It's my career as well. She's all of a sudden six months pregnant. I was trying to yes. figure out the timeline of these flashbacks because she was not pregnant, or at least not visibly pregnant in the first yeah. flashback. How long was that plane ride? I know. It's so weird. It's like, yeah. Um, but yeah, now she's very pregnant. It's uh, after he finishes this tour, she's like 12 months pregnant. For she's, ready to pop. She's, yes. you know? she's on the second child now. <laughs> but yeah, she I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize Jenna Malone, mm-hmm. uh, at all in this. Um, 
it was when I found out that it was her. I was like, holy fuck, that's Jenna Malone. Yeah. Wow. Jenna Malone hates Angie Bowie. I guess so. <laughs> so very convincing. Um, but yeah, Bowie finding the guts to stand up to Angie is like kind of another yes. running theme besides well, he didn't really establish, but kind of gets established at, at this point in the movie, which is this concept of like madness and duality and like dual yeah. dual identities. Um, so he goes into the bathroom and he has a flashback again to his brother. And this time we see his brother is like mentally ill, right? Like he's having real problems. Mm-hmm. He seeps screaming. It was real. It was real. Um, and then Bowie cries. And then we also kind of... This is sort of the beginnings of him sort of forming the Siggy Stardust um, persona. And it also shows that Angie's actually the only one who knows how to fucking deal with any of this. Yes. You know, she's like tender and and, and knows that, it, okay, it's going a little too far. Bowie just retreats and holds himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's constantly breaking down in the bathroom. That's another thing that, that it's happens a lot of that. several times yeah. in this movie. So the next morning, Ron's working the phones. Please talk to this David Bowie kid that you've never heard of, I guess, apparently. Um, they ambush this journalist at a hotel. He refuses to interview Bowie. He refuses to just walk in the next room and interview David Bowie. And he's like, Until- why are you wasting my time with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Until... The next morning, or I, I guess it's the next day. It's really not clear. Same day, I he think. just does. Yeah. So then he's just like, okay, yeah, fine, I'll do it. And so he interviews him. Yeah, I'll do my fucking job, I guess. Uh, and the interview doesn't go well. It's very awkward. Bowie is very aloof. He does the interview holding a drama mask on a stick. Yeah. The writer keeps asking, basically, like, why don't you just make Space Oddity again? It's been two years since Space Odyssey. Uh, and Bowie talks about drugs. He talks about mimes. He does some mimes. The writer kind of goes him into it and laughs and then just like takes off. <laughs> it's everybody brings up. Everything's obviously about mental illness to Bowie yep. and he demurs. And then Bowie is a complete asshole to everybody and doesn't take their job seriously. Yes, absolutely. That's rinse repeat. And the kind of, it's just overdone how much. Like, okay, Bowie wasn't maybe, like, a huge star in America at this yeah, time, but, like, right. it's so overdone with the, like, no one will even, like, look at him or talk to no. him. <laughs> you yeah, know, exactly. Like, did you give that record a listen yet? Uh, what do you, like, what? Really? They just wouldn't listen to the damn, uh, whatever. You take one look at David Bowie in that area, and you're like, this is a fucking rock That's star. That's a star. Th- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So another club gig after this interview goes really poorly. Again, no one cares. No one's. They have a shot of Bowie playing, and there's a woman in the bottom of the shot, and she's like looking away from the stage and talking instead. Like Bowie's up there playing. All the subtitles are like, "This stinks. He's garbage." <laughs> yes. But Jeannie, Jeannie from Skyline Magazine, is interested. Yeah, this guy's all right. He's okay. This kid, David Bowie, you say. Um, but Bowie goes off to snort coke and have sex with this bond woman in the in the crowd so the interview never happens could be the most pointless scene in the movie of full of pointless scenes. very pointless very pointless the, yeah yeah more driving now they wind up at a nice midwest family radio station and ron says keep it safe keep now, it safe you know what bowie's you know what bowie's not going to do at this it time safe oh boy <laughs> Yes, another awkward interview. <laughs> Bowie freaks out the squares, and the radio, uh, the disc jockey is shocked 
and appalled and apologizes to the audience and says, we're going to put on that clean cut Mark Bolin boy instead. <laughs> Literally this plays the- T-Rex. He's like, oh, I'm sorry to our listeners. Here's T-Rex. We're at the White Swan. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's T-Rex. Bang on, get it on. <laughs> They're not such nice boys. Oh, boy. I will say the one one positive about this movie was somebody who was finding these 70s era uh, locations. The few times they film on locations, and maybe it's because it's just a tight shot, but they found some good locations that look. There's a Holiday Inn in LA, what was formerly Dole's Airport, and then these little roadside diners places. They look of the period. (laughs) But that's before they started inserting all the stock footage. It gets heavy on stock footage at the end. So more driving now, uh, and now some window hijinks. Um, Bowie rolls down the window, and ah, papers flying everywhere. Like, so just thousands of papers are just flying all over the place. I could watch two hours of Mark Maron trying to run down a road to catch paper. Catching he papers, doesn't so much yeah. run. He has to stop shuffle. the car and pull it out, and then they got to do an argue in the road bit. Their, their conflict is coming to a head, so they do the argue in the road bit. Ron lays into Bowie. He says, Angie tried to get him fired. The type of key information that only comes out when you're arguing in the middle of an empty road. <laughs> Your whole life is scattered around there symbolically. Yeah. yeah. So Ron blows up. David feels bad. Yawn. Who cares? <laughs> this movie is really bad at getting you to emotionally invest in these characters. Very bad. It's really bad at establishing compelling stakes. And so a moment like this, which is sort of the turning point for the movie, no impact, no impact, no meaning, no nothing. It's just a box that gets checked. Moving on. So another phone call with Angie. Angie again rips him apart. It's just like, how dare you call me asking for sympathy? I give you none. It <laughs> hangs up on him. <laughs> I really hate her. Uh, so he's watching TV in a motel. Oh, he's watching TV like two inches from the set. Like I've never seen anybody that close into a TV set. <laughs> Maybe Johnny Depp and leaving Las Vegas, fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Wait, if Johnny Depp wasn't leaving Las Vegas, that would have been amazing. The little girl in Poltergeist. So don't get too close. Good call. It's bad for you. Yeah. And he, sure enough, has yet another flashback, right? Maybe the victim's in shocker. Yes. <laughs> Video drum. This is where I started thinking that the movie would be much more interesting if they picked Sue George to play uh, David Bowie, just so he could recreate all the things from, uh, well, I don't know, what's that movie? Life Aquatic with Mr. Limpet, <laughs> where Sue George played all Bowie tracks. <laughs> oh, good. I don't know. I couldn't think of Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, so I just I flashed at Mr. Limpet for some reason. I would watch that. Uh, me too. Would watch. Next morning, Bowie sits up front. He's humanized. <gasps> and he asks, looks at some tapes, and he's like, who are the Stooges? <laughs> really? Come on. <laughs> They only refer to a band called the Velvets, and it got me wondering if there was actually a band called the Velvets. But no, they're just talking about Velvet yeah. Underground. But like legally, they probably can't say Velvet probably, Underground for some right. reason. Yeah. Um, so Mark Maron explains the Stooges, and and they tell mm-hmm. a story about Iggy Pop, and uh, David Bowie tells about Vince Taylor, and they both kind of uh, there's like a common ground. They both kind of admire and accept a, a certain level of madness yeah. in an entertainer. And that a rock star needs to be a little bit 
crazy. Yes, exactly. You need it. And this is where I wrote down, this movie just makes me want to go find better music. Yes. <laughs> All right. Rolling Stone interview. How'd this happen? How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Everything how do you know the guy's going to be in poorly. New York? <laughs> Somehow they have a Rolling Stone interview set up for a hotel in New York City. They go in, but it's a misconnection. But there's a mm. note, we'll get him in LA, right? So this is like their, this is their grail. This is what they're chasing. So they go to Warhol's factory instead. Uh, Ron is not let in. Bowie is let in. We don't see Warhol. And apparently <laughs> Bowie doesn't see Warhol. He does some mime. Some more mime. A lot of miming in this movie from Bowie. A lot of miming. Um, but he's very disappointed in Warhol because Warhol didn't seem to give a shit about him. So instead they go to see the Velvet Underground. Uh, and Bowie talks to what he thinks is Lou Reed at the end, but it's a fake Lou Reed. It's somebody who's playing the role of Luke Reed, uh, Lou Reed trying to keep the band together. So again, this kind of theme of the double, the split personality, uh, entertainment as, you know, performance as reality. Yeah. Is it art? Is it madness? Blah, 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 blah. I kind of, at this point I was like, wow, this is somebody pretending to be Doug Yule, <laughs> pretending to be Lou Reed. <laughs> There's some real fucking artist inception. They should have got Lou Reed to play the role, which would have been a real coup. A real coup, considering he's been dead for two decades. <laughs> oh, boy. So, more stock footage, as you said. Footage of uh, planes in Los Angeles. Uh, Pan Am planes landing in Los Angeles. Because they're chasing that Rolling Stone interview, and they chase it all the way to L.A., these guys could barely afford gas before, but you know, suddenly, you know, transcontinental <laughs> right. fucking air is the drop of a hat. Um, <laughs> it's between Bowie and Stillwater for the cover story, so they got to race, race down there before those bastards from Stillwater steal their thunder. <laughs> um, but they go to this party, and Bowie goes and to the bathroom and snorts coke with I didn't catch who it was some some industry schmoozer type, and this guy. Guy from RCA Records. He's not from RCA though. He just he says you should oh. go to RCA. I would recommend really? going okay. there. He doesn't really try to recruit him. It doesn't. I mean, unless I, I maybe I got that wrong, but RCA must stand for Rolling on Coke always. <laughs> <laughs> Before they go to this party, I guess it, he gives them a present. Uh, Mark Marin gives David Bowie a mm. present. Mark Marin's character gives David Bowie a right. present. And it's of a guy he signed and believed in called Stardust Cowboy. It's this guy who flamed out massively, went crazy and stuff. And I was like, what a present. It's like, here, here's here's a, an example of me being horrible at my job by signing this fucking wackadoo. Here, it's yours. Now let's go meet industry people. <laughs> I'm the only one who believes in you. I was the only one who believed in that guy too. And he flamed the fuck out. Yeah, it's total failure. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go have that interview. Yeah, but um, there's another flashback. Um, this time, it's a mental hospital with Terry. Uh, Terry's being admitted to a mental hospital. So again, we're kind of deepening this thing. While this is happening, we get an almost moment-for-moment -moment recreation of the previous scene of the journalist in the hotel. This Rolling yep. Stone guy shows up at this party just to tell Ron that he refuses to interview David Bowie. Like, at the party. save a trip. Just make a call. Make a call. At the party with his briefcase. He's at the party he's, with his briefcase. I don't have time for this. I work for a Rolling Stone. I don't have time to talk to, to rock stars, for God's sakes. 
He's got to cut out because the uh, seniors meal at Denny's is only for about 30 more minutes. Seriously? The guy has his grandkids at the party. No, this guy is like Fred Dalton Thompson, like writing for Rolling Stone. <laughs> like, seriously. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to come to this party. I refuse to interview this guy. But then Ron just talks him into it, and he relents. Yep. And he's like, all right, I'll, oh, gosh, I'll talk to David Bowie. Ugh. Uh. Yeah. But all, all this is happening. David Bowie's, you know, in the bathroom having an episode. So when he comes out, he's not really in his fully right mind. But again, we get basically the same kind of frustrating interview. This Rolling Stone guy calls him schizophrenic, brings up these mental illness themes. Bowie doesn't want to talk about it. He's being very aloof. He's being very mercurial. He says the music is the mask the message wears. I am the message. Um, huh? Yeah. Why not? You get no glimpse of why Bowie was successful at all or what was charismatic. There's nothing. The mo- uh, Madness yeah. and drug use and pomposity are derailing this man's career at seemingly by his own choice at every instance until it just doesn't. Yeah. Until he makes it work, I guess. Yeah. That's the whole theme of the movie. Yeah. Johnny Flynn, playing the man playing Bowie, is as old in this movie. The actor is as old as David Bowie was in Labyrinth. <laughs> That's amazing. It's kind of shit you start seeking out while you're watching a boring ass oh, film. Oh my god, yes. And he's, you know, he's just not good. Again, what does he have to work with? But it's, yeah. it's just he's just he doesn't have the requisite charisma, you know. He needs a lot less. Yeah. He can't carry a movie. Really? That's for sure. But yeah, we get this kind of basic, these themes of duality, right? David Bowie is actually David Jones, right? And that was kind of part of the reason that he had an issue entering the country. It says David Jones, but he's identifying as David Bowie. He's called schizophrenic. Ziggy Stardust is going to emerge as this kind of like conduit for madness and duality for for David Bowie. You can't be a rock star, but you can pretend to be someone who is a rock star. Yes, right. So Bowie, after this interview, which again, doesn't really go well, it's frustrating. Uh, He's playing on the floor of this party. And again, this is a rock and roll party and no one is paying any attention to this, like David Bowie, just playing in the middle of the floor. And so he just basically gives up. It's like, I'm done. (laughs) So back at the hotel, he has another flashback of the sanitarium. Um, this time he also sees this vision of adoring fans that he will eventually have, uh, his brother sort of like nudges him on towards this, you know, adulation and away from the, the madness. Uh, Ron comes in, finds him on the balcony and David spills his dirty secret about mental illness in the family and says, I'm scheduled to be next. And Ron's advice is, is if, if you can't be yourself, be someone else. Oh, that- oh, <laughs> that sequence is the least tenseful suicide attempt no. interrupted at the last moment scene that you could possibly do. It's just so poorly There's shot. never like the same characters in the same shot. You never actually see any threat to his life. <laughs> Mark Marin, I like Mark Marin, but when he goes, oh my God, David. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, far out. You're not going to kill yourself. Okay. No, yeah. Mark Barron, he's he's showing up in a lot of movies nowadays, but I don't know. He really doesn't have actor chops. He can play Marin, and then that's that's what he should stick Absolutely. to. Absolutely, but yeah, this just this was just didn't work for me. Um, but again, if all of this conversation on the balcony where everything is outlined wasn't outlined yeah. clearly enough, he goes back home. He tells Angie, I'm going mad. What's happened to my brother is happening to me. She screams at him and runs away. <laughs> says, no, it isn't. <laughs> Terry just shows up 
Terry from the yeah. Bethel Hospital suddenly shows up. I did a runner. And he goes, all the madmen, which is the David Bowie song on Man Who Sold the World. Yeah. All the madmen. That's us. We're the madmen. That's what he says. Like, oh, yeah, I we thought, get it, dude. I thought there was going to be one of those cop-out moments where this was guy, he had been hallucinating. He wasn't actually there because how else would that guy just come up at that time when he's talking about that he's actually, you know, having mental issues like his brother? How else would his brother just barge in? Uh, <laughs> did a runner from a facility. I was like, no, it's got to be a hallucination. Nope. No. Oh, no, it's real. This, this, okay. Nope. No. Yeah. So David drives Terry back to the mental hospital where he's welcomed warmly back from the place that he just escaped from. Um, and he watches, he goes right into a class and it's this performance therapy class, right? Yeah. Let's underline it some more. So he watches Terry in this performance uh, therapy class. The idea is basically Ziggy Stardust is performance therapy for Bowie, which dumb. Right. Fucking dumb. Yeah. Dumb and boring and lame and bad. Um, but yeah, Terry's in the class and he wants to be a singer. So again, he sings, what kind of fool am I? David breaks down in tears and immediately goes home to mood board Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> he's just like right. laying out. Like he's cutting things out of magazines and laying about. He's like, um, write <laughs> that the scene songs, is amazing. Like he's just like, he tinkles at the piano and then he just goes and sits down and starts cutting out like brightly colored costumes from magazines and shit like that. He looks like Buffalo Bill when he's in the robe <laughs> and he's just like, <laughs> pastiche and his thing together. But yeah, it's his Pinterest board. It's his Ziggy Stardust Pinterest board. Seriously, yes. Angie comes in and sees this mess on the floor. And of course, she lays into him again. They Tries f- to break up with him. Yeah, they fight. She's like leaves, then comes back, starts screaming at him, threatens to leave, and he finally stands up to her in his own sort of way, says, no, you're not leaving, and she screams and storms off. But she doesn't Which, leave. you know, the movie's lesson is that, okay, that's what it takes for to get your woman to respect exactly. you. Boy. So, 1972, Friars, Aylesbury, just, UK. Just skips a year. Just yeah. skips ahead. Skips over Hunky Dory, uh, mm. arguably Bowie's finest work. So, good job. Good <laughs> job. Like, it just like, that that would, didn't even happen. Like, it didn't even it happen. Take away, exactly. We just go exactly. right to Ziggy Stardust as though Hunky Dory didn't happen. Changes, for God's sake. Changes? All right. There's a key song. Isn't this movie about changes? Fuck you. Anyway. <laughs> Fire Aylesbury, UK. 1972, Hunky Dory never happened, and now he's in Ziggy Stardust hair and makeup and costume, and he's in the personality of this alien rock star. He refuses to meet these journalists that RCA is flowing for the show because aliens don't give interviews. Bowie's band, they are introduced to their wardrobes like five minutes before the first show of a world tour. Uh, yeah. Isn't there like a whole stage presence and rehearsal you need no, to go you just through? show up. Uh, they give you your costume, and then you start playing your music, right? No, yeah, yep. right. Ridiculous. And, of course, they're all like, well, I don't want to wear it because these costumes. I'm like, really? They they wore costumes well. Even the start, the Spiders to Mars thing started even before. Whatever. It's nonsense <laughs> is what I'm saying. It's complete nonsense. It's it's bullshit. It's not even fiction. But- it's just bullshit. You gotta, you gotta understand. These are all middle-aged men, oh, of advanced middle-aged yeah. men with paunches. So they they're not really gonna get do up not there look in those good. <laughs> these jumpsuits. No. Gold LeMay jumpsuits do not look good on a paunch. Yeah, Mick Ronson is especially outraged. He's ready to walk. They're all gonna laugh at you. Um, but Bowie has this like new sort of confidence with this identity, right? Like it's given mm-hmm. him a, a new sort of a, a personality. 
Um, he comes to two doors. Again, you know, just more symbolic bullshit. Brothers behind one of the doors. Uh, Ron shows up somehow. He's just somehow. There you go. Hey, I'm here. There's like, hey, wow. Is Bowie even on Mercury at this point? Says he's on RCA, yeah, right? Like, are you <laughs> like, on Mercury, fucking Who the there? fuck flew this guy across the ocean? <laughs> oh, and then the performance comes. And, I mean, it's, it's ending in the standard way. You got to end with, like, two songs, right? So, again, sure. they're covers. But the au- audience goes absolutely fucking nuts. It's not a very good – it's a mediocre recreation. Mediocre at best recreation. Uh, just a – basically a uh, Ziggy Stardust karaoke, but Mark Bolin is there in the first row and we see he is properly shamed. Uh, he, that's his Salieri moment. That's he really is like, <laughs> why? You're so chillied. You're such a balcony genius. look. <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair. The creature had her. The creature had my songbird. Oh God. Yeah. But everyone loves it. Bolin loves it. Even Mick uh, Ronson, like after the first song, he cheers sh- himself. Cheers. He chagrins. Cheers. Yeah. Uh, Ron nods. David smiles. Freeze frame. We're done. Stardust. And then, just for the road, one more performance. One more mm-hmm. uh, car- Ziggy karaoke. Another cover. I don't even know why, except just because movies like this have to do it. Again, these are award-scrubbing movies. They're designed to like get nominated for Best Actor and shit like that. And so I'm sure there's some kind of contractual thing where you're just like, I need to sing at least X number of songs. And uh, Anyway, it's over. It's all over. The movie Stardust. Corky, any final thoughts before we wrap it up and give our ratings? This guy's aping of Bowie. I mean, it's like you would go see uh, a cover band, except they would actually play Bowie songs, right? Well, I was trying to think of the band name for that. (laughs) It'd be like the Young Americans or something like that (laughs) doing David Bowie's hits. Um, Okay, so enough about the fucking movie. Um, What's your favorite era of Bowie? Favorite era, uh, you know, I this this era is is pretty exciting. The Hunky Dory Ziggy Stardust uh, era. Gotcha. It's probably my favorite. How about you? I like Thin White Duke, All Bowie. Right. Good, good. I like the Philadelphia soul behind him. Good call. Good call. But no, nothing else about this movie. Just to remind everybody of our rating system, run-of-the-mill bad films a dare. Next level bad. Double dare. Movie we actually like, reverse dare. Corky, Stardust. What do you give it? Ooh, this is a big-time double dare. Double Big-time double diamond dog dare. Um this movie's terrible. Yeah. Absolutely fucking horrible. There was there was one enjoyable moment in this movie. It's when Mark Marin does a mime and he flips him off. I was like, thank God. I laughed at this. I, there's one positive thing I can say about that movie uh, was the the set, the locations they found to look like the 70s, and that is it. The performances are lackluster. The storytelling is just abysmal. There is no storytelling. Uh, yeah, and and it's just it's it's so crazy that they got guys so old to play rock musicians, rock journalists, rock um, uh, PA guys. Just it was terrible, terrible fucking movie. And the director's a hack. Dittos across the board, my friend. Yeah, I agree with you. I'll give it a double dare as well. I almost went dare just because it's like, what's almost more galling about this movie is that it's not even like embarrassingly bad. It's not fully mm. incompetent, it, but it is just 
utterly pointless. There's no reason yeah. for this movie to exist. There's no audience for this movie. There's no, you know, artistic point of view or anything behind this movie. I don't even know why this movie got made except that it just could have got made. And so it did get made. But again, that kind of makes it worse. That kind of makes it yeah. worse, you know, an embarrassingly bad rock biopic like uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. My God, what an absolute <laughs> fucking shit fest that is. This movie doesn't have that moment, I guess probably because they didn't have the rights to anyone's name or anything. But you know those moments in the biopic where they're like, so-and-so, meet so-and-so. And it's like the big, the person who's going to shape your life. And this is where they met. And someone just said, meet so-and-so, like Spiro Agnew. Meet Richard Nixon. Wow. That's when they met, you know, like Watergate Hotel. Meet the burglars. <laughs> but again, it's probably worse for not having that um, embarrassing, um, so, so bad it's good sort of a thing. So, yeah, I'm going to go double you there know, as well. And you make a good point. I could have gone along. I could go along with a biopic that's made by someone who actively hates the person they're making the biopic right. about. Like that would be kind of interesting in a way. This movie borders on that. Yeah. Uh, but not enough. Nowhere near enough. It seems like it doesn't really give a fuck, you know, about yeah. So again, like, why is this movie being made? I, I just, I'm, it's utterly perplexing. All right. That's all we have for you on this episode of Dare Daniel, but we'll be back in two weeks to review another one of your movie dares. Until then, send your most sadistic or altruistic movie dares to us at daredaniel.com and be sure to follow Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's Schmeed. That's what we call it around here. It's the Schmeed. Like and rate us on your favorite podcast apps. Read more of my movie reviews on the Dare Daniel website at daredaniel.com. Corky. Yeah, man. You're touring America. You're trying <laughs> to get your message out there, man. What are you doing? I'm playing at industry parties where nobody knows who I am, uh, is paying attention. I'm sitting, you know, cross-legged on the floor, uh, being ignored, you know? I might do some coke in the bathroom and have a hallucination. Par for the course. But that's about it. That's about what I got. Standard standard issues. Uh, normal Thursday. That's what you're saying. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, now, come down to the Sacramento Comedy Spot. See shows. Take classes. That's awesome. Yeah. For Dare Daniel, I'm Daniel Barnes. And I'm Corky McDonald saying absolutely nothing interest from this movie. Uh, oh, wait. No, here. I'm going to mine. <laughs> He's doing it. He's really doing it. <laughs> we love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>